Hey, Plunge fans. This was bound to happen eventually, but we fucked up the audio so bad on our last recording. That was an add-on to our episode that you're about to hear. But yes, we lost our recording of us talking about Cesar Sayoc, the bomber who attempted to attack uh, many prominent Democrats and the other attack over the weekend at the synagogue in Pittsburgh. So we won't be talking about those on this episode, but definitely on the next one. So stay tuned. This is The Plunge. It's the deep breath before the plunge. To me, he's not Lion Ted anymore. What is he now? Beautiful Ted. Beautiful Ted. Texas. I call him Texas Ted. This is quite a turn for Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. This relationship has been fraught. It has been tested. I mean, Sam, we have seen Donald Trump accuse Ted Cruz's father of the murder of John F. Kennedy. He also basically called Ted Cruz's wife ugly. He also accused Ted Cruz of being, or no, the internet accused Ted Cruz of being the Zodiac killer, but Trump didn't, he didn't respond to that. He encouraged those rumors. So to see Trump come out and explicitly say, there's no more lying, Ted. This is beautiful, Ted. This is a wonderful moment for the unity of all Republicans. Yeah, this makes every Republican proud to call their party home. And uh, Ted Cruz, as you said, has entered his cocoon and emerged as beautiful Ted. And he and Donald Trump were embracing very closely at the Houston like uh, what rally that he was doing. And they're staring just longingly into each other's eyes. It's an extremely disturbing picture. They're both gelatinous forms that kind of glob onto one another. Yeah, this is a good Trump picture because you get a good view of the horror that is Trump's like body. He has, I, I don't know, it, it must be like a diaper, but it's this uncomfortable like ridge somewhere where his hips should be. It's got to be a girdle of some sort. <laughs> it's something. And just his body makes no sense. He looks sort of like he's wearing an apron underneath his clothing. <laughs> <laughs> like a big lobster bib. Yeah, I don't I don't know. And and you can really like close up pictures of Trump, you can really see how un like inhuman his eyebrows and really all of his hair looks, but I mean, truly bizarre times we live in. And Ted Cruz, another man who is barely human. (laughs) No, his uh, melted candle face is just, it's so off the golden ratio that it hurts the eyes. Well, all right, that rally was going on and... What the hell was happening outside? Well, it looks like right-wing YouTube manic people can't stay off the obsession with literal feces. I mean, poop. It's Alex Jones, like, outside of this rally, just yelling at poop. He's calling it Beto or O'Rourke in, like, a very childish joke. All right, let's play the audio here. Beto! 
protesters over there who were just gooning them. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're still over there. Yeah, they're still over there being weird, but we're just having fun. He seems to be yelling at this pile of shit and interviewing it as if it is Beto O'Rourke. Just high-level comedy coming out of the Republican Party these days. Also, it's in the middle of the street, and he has, like, a guy blocking traffic off. (laughs) I mean, this is important shit, all right? Literally. So we need Alex Jones to be in the middle of the road getting this kind of scoop. He has clearly retained his relevance after being banned from most of the internet. It's true, yeah. People thought he was going to disappear, and we, I think we were spared him to a degree for a little while, but he's never going away. He'll be on whatever medium will host him, like screaming at inanimate objects. All right. Honestly, I wish we did not have to talk about this, but it's something we can't ignore anymore. These proud boys... <laughs> This is also something we need to like publicly probably just disavow because we are what proud boy bait. We're like white guys, like white millennials in our twenty our, our mid twenties or whatever. Well, I would like to think that we wouldn't fall into the dem the demographic that would seek out an organization like the Proud Boys. I. I don't think there's a point in my life where this sort of, like, masculine fraternal organization would have appealed to me. I mean, I like to think so as well. And maybe that's just by virtue of the fact that we have our lives together to, like, some degree individually. But either way, just some basic facts on the Proud Boys their founder is Gavin McGinnis, who I know is just one of the greatest chumps of all time because he left Vice before all the other people who founded Vice like made a ton of money, and he was like largely left out of that. Gavin is a failed comedian who, I guess, in an effort to get his career going, fell into the right-wing grift. Yeah, I remember someone sharing videos of his where he was yelling at, like, women in bars for laughing too loudly and and shit. And I had no idea who this person was. Someone mentioned that he had, like, a political side as well. But I just thought he was such a bizarre dunce. And it's so weird to see him on this, like, I guess national stage after the Proud Boys beat up a ton of people in New York and the cops basically did nothing about it. So, let's not jump too far ahead. Let's give a little more background. The Proud Boys, I know they're defined by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group, and I suppose you could call them a male chauvinist, male supremacist sort of group. You do literally have to take an oath saying that you're a Western chauvinist, like whatever that means. It seems that some of the members are like not white, but it seems like essentially an organization to celebrate whiteness and Western values, as they say. Right. It's just like general social conservatism repackaged in a way to make 
I guess, young people embrace it. And of course, like this has, you know, ensnared the media to a degree. We did see like a puff piece in the New York Times after uh, some violent Proud Boy beatings where they profiled Gavin McInnes as like a Brooklyn hipster who just tried to get into far right stuff. And it was like very sympathetic and puffy. So I feel like this with the Proud Boys, there is this like veneer after Charlottesville. You remember Gavin McInnes said that he like disavowed the racist alt-right because it had literally gotten Heather Hare killed. And I think it has helped them avoid scrutiny the way that some other hate groups that we would know about have not and have become more prominent. Anytime you see a person who came up in vaguely like the comedy world and anytime you see a person like that develop a following like this in a super right wing way it centers around all the same bullshit you're used to hearing from the right wing pundits that political correctness and college campuses and you know gavin he has uh, been a proponent of using the N-word. Uh, and a user of the N-word. <laughs> right. He called trans people gender N-words and lunatics. He said Muslims were inbred. I mean, you know, whatever. This isn't someone who's like an intellectual whose ideas we have to respect, but he does have a certain sway with his army of proud boys who after this incident a couple weeks ago at the metropolitan republican club in new york city um they're a bunch of fucking middle-aged men yeah i guess these proud boys it's hard to like pin down what we should think about them i guess one thing that kind of keeps me up at night is that the Metropolitan Republican Club has had way more established figures like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz speak. Obviously, they've had like some more extremist people who would be more in line with like the level of, I guess, uselessness of Gavin McInnes. Some people like, you know, James O'Keefe, the Project Veritas guy who dressed up as a pimp to sting Acorn. And recently, I think, in infiltrated, quote unquote, like, dc's uh dsa wing but i guess it's annoying the way that the it should be obvious at first glance that these guys are basically the same as like the other hate groups that have kind of been scrutinized more heavily after the charlottesville you know riot last year but the proud boys have managed to escape it by maintaining this like hipster kind of like youthful like edgelordy vibe they're like we're not quite violent even though gavin mckinnis is out here saying like you should commit violence to be like a, a real deal proud boy and then third degree you still have to give up masturbating, but you have to get a tattoo. And then fourth degree, you get arrested or in a serious violent fight for the really? cause. Really? Yes. You get arrested in a serious violent fight, so you're promoting or violence? Or some sort of major altercation. You shouldn't that, you should erase that part. Well, we don't, we don't encourage it, but if you're defending, like at the, at the Berkeley thing with Milo, we just, my guys, just 14 of them just walked into a mob of 200 people. Just to get their stripes? And said, I thought you guys were tough. No, they were doing it. Just for fun. All of this definitely reminded me of the 
puff piece New York Times Nazi interview. Yeah. The way that for for some reason because the guy was like a mundane normal sort of person that he was worthy of giving a, any sort of platform to i don't know the proud boys are so like unremarkable it's like <laughs> you have to question the motives of the police who allowed these guys to beat up people protesting them and then just leave because <laughs> they didn't want to do paperwork or you know maybe even more uh sinister uh sort of affiliations we've seen cops with fucking weird affiliations to right-wing groups before it's not the first time that like protesters have been uh treated worse than people who started the the fight they always get the protection of the police i mean i was the one in dc the unite the right part two or whatever that they did recently it was just like three dozen tops of these fucking nerdos like being literally just protected by like a phalanx of police and they were protecting those people from just the other citizens of dc who were the vast majority of the protesters you know the counter protesters but the proud boys are just so frivolous and ridiculous and i feel like it's a trap to talk about them that way because it makes you talk about them less seriously but they are just so patently fucking ridiculous and they're they're clearly just spoiled children to a degree. They like expect that everything should go their way. So when not everything does go their way, then they wind up, I guess, you know, acting out in this manner. And you can trace this back to the fact that the Proud Boys name comes from the song Proud of Your Boy, which was cut from the Aladdin Disney movie, but was present in the musical version cool yeah <laughs> really like tough and massive and wait a minute aladdin like come on isn't that they're muslims in aladdin you realize yeah wait a minute <laughs> clearly they're not a coherent movement but either Agrabah. way i don't understand it but this song pissed off gavin mckinnis who saw a sinister implication as you said uh it's he says that Aladdin in this song is apologizing for being a boy when in actuality uh, we should all let boys be boys like it's a and that's the whole thing with them is they're proud to be boys like that's it's not it's exactly as dumb as it sounds a lot of people are confused about where the name comes from or they think it can't be as dumb as it sounds but I'm here to tell you it is absolutely as dumb as it sounds so Dan what do you think of an ideology that's trying to tell you to be proud of being a boy? Like, how do you take that seriously? No, because I don't consider these weird, like, patriarchal values to be so sacred. Like, I don't need to have, like, a wife to, like, cook and, like, wash my clothes. <laughs> like, these guys are just obsessed with these, like, what do they call it? The trad wife. They yeah. want a traditional wife who will not work and they just want like a submissive partner who will perform every whim that the proud boy has it's just fucking stupid they want something between like an anime body pillow and their own mother <laughs> and like a female <laughs> mate that's basically what they want but uh either way I mean, I don't think I have much more to say about this. It's so ridiculous that they're getting such like sympathetic treatment up to this point that, you know, until the NYPD has been relatively reluctant to like 
make you know issue warrants for arrests and you know actually like do something about this violent gang i mean gavin mckinnis if he was any other color but like a white hipster dude from brooklyn he would not be getting the same kind of treatment he wouldn't be allowed to be on like joe rogan or whatever talking about how in order to be like a real deal proud boy and rise the ranks you have to commit violence and like beat up an antifa member also, that photo that's been going around of Gavin with no beard, Ugh. just chinless. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what he looks like, he's like a he has a stupid ass like uh, he's like one of those dudes who rocks like the lumberjack chic look, where like the hair slicked back and then like a beard. Yeah, he just looks awful, honestly. And without the beard, he looks like a fucking looks like Ed from Ed Ed and Eddie. Has <laughs> no chin. <laughs> I think Kath Barbadoro said he looks like Earthworm Jim. <laughs> That's also good. Yeah, he looks like a diglet. Um, that was with a D, by the way. Uh, not, not the other one. Anyway. The Pokemon, uh, god damn it. The Pokemon, please. This is a family show. Well, not the whole family. Anyway. Um, yeah, a family show. Let's talk about uh, Kashagi. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is like you can tell your kids about. We've all, we. this has been on the news more so than most scandals like uh, uh, like this in Saudi Arabia or relating to Saudi Arabia, I think. So let's start with this, right? I can't imagine this is the first journalist the Saudis have targeted. Not at all. They do it all the fucking time. <laughs> but this man wrote for the Washington Post? Yeah, he wrote for the Washington Post. And he lived apparently in Virginia, probably like around here anyway. And he was at the Saudi embassy in Istanbul for, I'm not exactly sure, but for like a routine basically sort of thing. And it ended up with, I mean, he disappeared. People didn't know where he went. And the details that have come out are as grisly as it can get. I mean, literally, he has been like dismembered with a bone saw alive yeah he literally has been just butchered on a visit to like the consulate in istanbul it's absurdly grisly and bizarre and i mean all the i think the most striking thing beyond the gruesomeness of the murder itself has definitely been how the i guess the they thought they were going to the, they being like the saudi royal family or the saudi government they thought they were just going to be able to do this and nobody would pay attention to it and they would be cuz they were lazy as hell in the cover up well you have to acknowledge there's been a lot of overlooked violence coming from saudi arabia i mean yeah the school bus explosion the uh i mean the whole war in yemen absolutely i mean like people are like how could they kill this journalist i'm like they're killing a fucking country currently with u.s weapons i mean someone else pointed out that like they did 9-11 and we're like how could they kill a journalist <laughs> we have a fraying reputation of the crown prince muhammad bin salman can you describe for our listeners who might not know much about mbs what's his deal 
Well, I agree with someone on Twitter who said that you should uh, pronounce his name to the tune of Amer- the song American Woman. You know, Mohammed bin Salman. <laughs> <laughs> so Mohammed bin Salman is like the the crown prince of the Saudi royal family. Everyone out there has like these ridiculous titles and shit. And Saudi Arabia obviously occupies a massive place in like the world economy. Saudi Aramco, one of the most profitable companies in the world, just they're kings sitting on top of a ton of oil. They got Lamborghinis. And the thing with that everyone thought was different about Mohammed bin Salman was that he was going to be like the reformer prince that like I think probably just because he was like, young and good looking. There were a lot he's of thirty two. Yeah, yeah. He's young and good looking. People want to think that Saudi Arabia is kind of opening up. And I think a lot of people have been shown with their pants down with this whole Khashoggi butchering. Well, <laughs> Hillary Clinton famously tweeted Ladies, start your engines. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in reference to Saudi women being like granted the right to drive in like the 2010s i mean like it's not pretty over there and they have imported this kind of like vicious like social conservatism to like pakistan and other countries nearby i mean they're currently waging war against yemen just out of like existential fear and i don't know it's uh all the I guess, like, very mediocre pundits, like, what Thomas Fridman have been shown with their pants down. They all thought, like, because they were showing, like, Hollywood movies in Saudi yeah, like, Arabia. They, they screen Infinity War, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> like, the Saudis are good. Yeah, I mean, another way you can see them with their pants down, Jeffrey Goldberg at The Atlantic wrote, like, a this got a lot of attention. I think Chavo did this as well, but like a long ass, like sympathetic interview of Mohammed bin Salman in which Mohammed bin Salman was saying that he like could conceivably, you know, recognize the state of Israel and stuff. I'm like, Oh great. Like another country that's kind of, you know, exporting death in a similar manner to like a smaller state. And I think the Khashoggi murder has, definitely blown open the degree to which these people can defend Mohammed bin Salman because it's becoming more and more clear that he and his aides uh, ordered this assassination. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you showed me this article about this guy. His name is Saad al-Qahtani, and he is the guy who apparently gave the order over Skype. He said to bring him the head of the dog in reference to Jamal Khashoggi. Like this like kindly old Saudi man who like lives in like the suburbs in Virginia and like by all accounts is like the most gentle human alive. Yo, and they fucking said that he tried to like fight 15 men <laughs> or something. Yeah, so oh, okay, so we should note that like Mohammed bin Salman is getting all this criticism because the official line on the on this has been dog shit, both from the U.S. and from Saudi Arabia. Because like Mohammed bin Salman, the official line now is that he died in a chokehold. I guess after like duking it out with like you said, fifteen people who we all know like hacked him to death with a bone saw. The Turkish officials at the consulate have been kind of using this and their position to like make a lot of statements about the Saudi empire, which is, I, I don't know, it's kind of like 
pick the enemy of your enemy is something but either way this has just turned into like such a ridiculous thing i mean it's not cool to joke about the death of a journalist especially when it's perpetrated by the hands of a brutal like autocratic government but i mean someone was like this is basically just like a coen brothers movie or something it's like ianucci yeah it's like all these people trying to cover their ass yeah very death of stalin which we talked about on this show and I guess some of the other things, like they were openly burning documents the day after Khashoggi disappeared, like behind the Turkish consulate. There's just so much that they did not cover their tracks on. They literally had a guy pretending to be Khashoggi who had like a beard and they took the clothes off of presumably Khashoggi's corpse, including his glasses, and put them on this like decoy guy again to do this like hacky kind of like. Uh, what is this uh pink panther level like heist jinx <laughs> like it's really ridiculous i mean we're joking about it but it's fu- it's bad and it's just so no, ridiculous he, he was killed because he wrote critically about saudi arabia yeah i mean i wonder why <laughs> like look how he ended up damn trump has all of his fucking uh business dealings with the saudis yeah the saudis own so much at this point and uh, people like The Rock, you know, he was touting Mohammed bin Salman as like a great man. <laughs> great. <laughs> people forget that Saudi Arabia is an authoritarian nation. I mean. Yeah, they're like beheading people in the streets. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's not free over there, clearly, unless you're a fabulously wealthy man. But I guess... The last things that we need to say about this whole thing is that it's just so ridiculous that they thought that because Trump like sat down for the sword dance with like Wilbur Ross and like he's <laughs> Trump loves the Saudis because they're just rich and they have fancy cars and gold everywhere. He they thought that they had like the golden ticking with this dude and they thought that they had the approval of like the center left, you know, punditocracy in I guess you know america at places like the washington post but they thought they could get away with this and like cover it up through these hacky measures and it's all blowing up and it's a definitely a moment it'll be interesting to see what comes of this yeah i really wonder how they're going to spin this because there is enough money tied up in this that i mean you know they're killing people in yemen they're not gonna they're not gonna you know put everything on hold because of you know principles or anything no i mean even our government's not going to do that you saw play the video of mike pompeo just being like up oh, uh. stress the importance uh of them conducting a complete investigation of the dis- disappearance of jamal khashoggi uh, and they made a commitment they said they would do that they said it would be a thorough complete and transparent investigation we'll all see the results of that they made a commitment that they would show the entire world the results of their investigation. Did they say that uh, Mr. Khashoggi is alive or dead? I don't want to talk about any of the facts. Uh, they, they didn't want to either. Yeah, and apparently he heard the tapes of Khashoggi's murder, so... <laughs> Uh, well, you also sent me that video. I mean, in terms of like Trump staffers acting wild, what Lewandowski and John Kelly were like duking it out outside the Oval Office at one point this year, and like the Secret Service had to step in. Yeah, I think Kelly had Lewandowski by the collar. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 
nothing better than hearing about these just exhausted alphas. I get so pissed, like, w- working two blocks away from the White House and never seeing any of this kind of shit. Like, I, wanna, I want it this on my front door. It just spills out into the street. Like, yeah. <laughs> Jared and, like, Don Jr. just, like, wrestling. Trump just, like, running, like, naked up Connecticut Ave with, like, <laughs> only his, like, diaper on. I mean, come on. Like, give me the action. And, like, three handlers chasing him. <laughs> Well, I mean, with Saudi Arabia, this is a, a big thing that I think about is how similar it is to here. We always get down on Saudi Arabia for having an awful, you know, gender standards and literally like enforcing laws like the aforementioned law against women driving, which was only recently lifted. And I don't think that it's that far from the right wing in the United States because recently we've seen just the White House's absurd reclassification of like transgender rights under Title IX. It is an insane obsession of these people. That's true. They act as if the gender identity spectrum started like two years ago yeah no they totally do and i think when it comes down to this it's a very cynical ploy where they're trying to kind of rile up their base in a way because this is i mean this is something that large does not affect the vast majority of americans i mean not to like marginalize the issues but most of the people who if they all of a sudden hear, like, what do you feel about transgender rights? It doesn't affect them, or like the, at least the people in Trump's base, although they probably do know trans people. Okay, so according to the Times, the Department of Health and Human Services is considering defining sex under Title IX as specifically um, male or female as a biological and unchangeable condition determined by genitalia at birth. So I guess this is just a way of furthering an anti-trans agenda that, you know, people seemed to say that Trump actually, uh, you know, I feel like there was an argument floating around at a certain point that Trump wasn't that bad for the LGBTQ community and clearly uh, after the transgender military ban and this it's like i mean this is just like cruel i mean you're taking some of the most disenfranchised vulnerable uh i mean the struggles that trans people go through to just get employment in basic uh, i mean a basic needs uh you know filled is it's to throw this at them and try to like exhaust them out of existence is uh, it's evil. No, I definitely agree. Um, I think that the perception that Trump was going to be like softer on, I guess, LGBTQ issues is that, and I call this my, the hippie Trump phase 
like Trump didn't have the support of mainstream Republicans to the degree that he has now because like when he was running, especially early on, because everyone thought that tr- the Trump mania was a phase. They didn't realize it had staying power that he would end up winning the presidency. So early on, Trump was out there saying like, oh, Social Security, Medicare, because he also doesn't really know anything about politics. He's like, listen, LGBTQ people have never loved them more in my life. Loved everybody like he th- that's the hippie Trump phase it was like before he like had the backing of. I guess a more like uh, general or like mainstream Republican conservative line before he had like that full support. He was just kind of like grasping at straws wildly. Like, and so that's what I call the hippie Trump face. We forget how easy it is to like roll back, you know, like official progress, you know, and how the. I guess system we've set up where it's all just like executive orders and shit is just it's it's really uh, inefficient. Yeah, I mean, the degree to which the executive branch's power has expanded is unprecedented. And both Democratic and Republican presidents have kind of played a role in making that happen over the past, uh, you know, especially since the Bush years. I mean, Dick Cheney really beefed up the executive branch and Obama continued that. And here we are in this hell world in which like a reality TV star has all this uh, power or at least the coalition that he's representing, which is definitely the worst coalition, I think, because the people who are just like, who think it's like such an important victory to reclassify sex just to fuck over trans people is it's one of the like lowest forms of life. And I think, like I said earlier, this is just kind of a cynical ploy to whip up the base and give them something that like they can point to, like this is going to wind up in a bunch of, you know, like Ben Shapiro and all these kind of like YouTube fuckers who have become so popular seize on this issue all the time of the idea of like, you can't change your sex. Right. We saw them, we saw them just like, you know, crying about the bathroom bills and stuff. Right. So they can just kind of point to this now. And I don't know, like, it's just another thing for them to say while they, you know, perpetrate just the massive fucking seizure of, you know, the nation's capital by the upper like one percents or whatever. And I think there's definitely a way for them to, make money off of this honestly i mean even if it's as simple as you know trans murder murders against trans people are not like as widely investigated and people are saying it's something that needs more scrutiny because it happens a lot and they're a lot of times like targeted to a higher degree and i think that if you remove their legitimate claims from the equation you just say oh it doesn't matter you're not actually like a persecuted class then they can kind of you know, not have to fund investigations into all these murders that disproportionately affect the trans community, especially trans people of color. So I don't know. I it's it's just heinous and evil and it's there's no like genuine reasoning. It's just to whip up the base and uh make the world worse, I guess. Well, another thing making the world worse is rising housing costs in every fucking urban area in the country. So, Sam, uh, we have a new solution that NPR was kind enough to profile. The headline is, can't find an affordable home? Try living in a pod. (laughs) 
So this is what they mean when they say things like what Nancy Pelosi is a communist. I mean, this does sound pretty fucking like uh, Brave New World here. It reminded me of Sorry to Bother You, actually. Oh, absolutely. I was going to bring that up, but we should go into some of the basics. So this focuses on like the L.A. area specifically in this article. And the thing that struck me about these pods, I mean, they show a picture. It's literally like bunks in like a fucking bizarre commune with like other people who are paying $1,400 a month at or and some people were paying twenty two hundred to thirty five hundred a month to live in a fucking like bunk, basically like a, a a gentrified hostel is what this looks like. Yeah, they have a small flat screen TV in every bed, so it's like three inches from your face. Right. The uh storage looks to be you know basically what you can fit under a small bed and of course they like spew a bunch of neoliberal nonsense about how like this is good for traveling people on the go who are you know creative entrepreneurs and don't need to be tied down to one place so i mean the tvs are very disturbing it reminds me of you know in black mirror the episode with like daniel kaluuya in the first episode oh, of course yeah, yeah where they're like in like these tv box cells where they all have to like compete for likes and shit it's uh, very dystopian and disturbing so this company pod share Ugh. it's got it's got five locations in la and the tenants share kitchens, they share bathrooms, living rooms, of course, are shared, and the rent is cheaper, I guess, than what they'd get if they got a one-bedroom. I mean, this is just so offensive to me because it's a shitty neoliberal commune. That's what this is. It's a fucking commune. And in L.A., communes were not uncommon until, like, recently. And they've been replaced with, like— They got a bad rep. (laughs) They've been replaced with the same fucking thing, but you have to pay $1,400 a month. Like, okay, I don't pay that much. I have a one-bedroom in the D.C. metropolitan area, like, on a metro line, and it does not— I like $1,400 a month. I'm not paying like that much more than that for my like one bedroom apartment. Like granted it's not LA or anything, but like, I mean, damn, it just seems such a, like a bizarre deal to make. We kind of have four different customer types. We have a starter who's just coming to a new city and wants to grab life by its horns. We have a restarter, somebody who's 30 to 40, who maybe had a divorce or had a really tough roommate situation and is, and is tired of running a home. We take advantage of people's misery. Then there are the life shapers who he describes as champions of co-living as a long-term lifestyle. God, it's not like fucking like living in a van. And finally, there's the out-of-towners who need a local place to crash for a month or two because of, say, a job assignment. Of course, there's like that like job, you know, business angle at the end. But I think the Life Shapers one is the most disturbing because like... Once again, it's just a shitty commune. This isn't new. Living with other people is something that people have thought of before. And it does work. But this is just like the weirdest, like, technocratic, like, fucking appropriation of that concept into, like, 
the app economy. Uh, I mean, you can even see it, and they say that like there's going to be acoustic music going on here on a weekly basis, and Sunday suppers where everyone gathers. I'm like, yeah, that's a fucking commune. And people f- freak out about millennials not having children. It's like because we have to live in like dorms when we're fucking 40 oh they're gonna these things are gonna be boasting about how many like kids they've delivered like how many children have literally been born into like fucking pods and this is the future that these fuckers want <laughs> the, the yeah, it's like this, the matrix level like feudalism I, I don't even know at, at some point like the machines are just gonna take us over and we'll be plugged into like feeding tubes with televisions and nobody will care anymore it'll cost fifteen hundred dollars a month in rent too Oh my god, I just read a line that makes me want to throw up. Jill Pable, a professor in the Department of Interior Architecture and Design at Florida State University, said co-living, quote, fits very hand in glove with the sense that we are now moving into an experience economy rather than a possessions economy. What the <laughs> fuck? What is this hell world we've like been spat into? What the why is everything an economy? Like why don't people have to get to live anymore? Why don't we get to like have breathing space? We just live in like pods with TVs shoved in our face. We don't own anything. What the fuck is going on here? This is tied to for example, the tiny house movement, she said, and a great emphasis on travel these days. Oh! I, 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 it's, it's too much. It's too much. Just like build affordable housing. It's not rocket science. You don't have to build housing that's like exclusively used by Russian billionaires to launder money. You can build housing that people live in and make it nice. This is possible. We have plenty of means to do this. We don't have to like structure everything as if it's like creating its own self-sustaining economy and ecosystem like this is not the what the hell is going on it's such a silicon valley thing though it's like well you know it might look like it sucks but actually you're gonna love like it's cool to have no possessions holy shit no i i it, it just i saw this posted so many times on twitter that i was like there's no way i'm reading this piece of shit but when i got into it i was like this is fucking hell world and i don't know i think we need a breather i think we need to go into the pop culture corner all right well we are gonna keep talking about horror because it's still october so we got horror movie recommendations for you well i actually don't know if you like the movies you watched so why don't you go first Oh, I liked both the movies I watched, which is why I want to talk about them. Uh, I got to thank, you know, Struggle Session, another podcast for putting out really good horror movie recommendations. I was trying to fill in the gaps on stuff that I had not seen on that list. The first one I watched is called May. It's a very cool psychological thriller, which it starts out kind of like a horror film, but it's centered around... Angela Bettis's character, May, she has a very like abusive past. I'm not going to spoil everything, Dan, because you haven't seen it. But she plays the role of this kind of like quiet, you know, unhinged woman who bears the scars of her trauma and like 
tries to have a normal life. She tries to have a fling with Jeremy Sisto, but she's a little too into like uh, blood play in the bedroom and everything takes like a very dark turn. She starts to alienate people. And of course her kind of past catches up to her, but it's just such a brilliantly done film. And especially the acting job by Angela Bettis as the titular character may is so fucking amazing. She plays it with such like, I guess kind of restraint for like the early 2000s. This came out in 2002. And I feel like a lot of in the 2000s, if you wanted an Oscar nom, you had to, I guess, like pretend to be kind of crazy or have like an intellectual disability or something. And uh, I guess she kind of just plays it with a lot of like nuance and style. And it's a really, really great film. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I guess I... I don't associate mid two thousands as a good time for horror. I, I like I don't. I I feel like that's when mid budget horror movies just started getting like really, I don't know, just kind of annoying and like a lot of just like tropes like creepy kids and like you know torture. Yeah, I mean it definitely avoids all those tropes. There's. There's definitely gruesome scenes, but it's not for shock and awe. These are not like the Saw films or anything. It's definitely stylish. It has a lot of nods to Dario Argento. It's the uh, solo directing debut of Lucky McKee. And it's uh, it's just like a very unique film that definitely doesn't belong in 2002, but I can't think of very many other films that are quite like it in the way that it kind of melds the psychological horror with... There's some of like the more like classic horror tropes. Like there's a creepy doll that, you know, May talks to and you kind of think it's gonna take a sort of, you know, hokey, like the conjuring kind of angle. And it never does any of that. It's really like uh sticks to that kind of like psychological horror and delivers hard. It's a great film. And I you never know where it's gonna go. Like the plot is very sneaky. It's I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but great uh acting turns by by Angela Bettis, especially also Jeremy Sisto, who's like ten years old in this movie. Oh, uh, Easter egg. Uh, the f- movie was edited by Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't say it was all good. Oh, and Jeremy Sisto's <laughs> not actually like 10 years old. I was just being hyperbolic. He's like a, you know, hunky 20-year-old or something. I should say it was also edited by Deborah Goldfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna Faris was in there as well. What was she doing there? Anna Ferris plays an assistant at the veterinary clinic that uh, employs May Kennedy. And she kind of like, like Jeremy Sisto's character, she kind of engages May's more disturbing obsessions with, you know, blood porn and uh, all kinds of good stuff. But once she kind of realizes the depths of it, like she pulls back and kind of alienates herself from from May and then it turns into more of May goes inward and starts to realize I guess you know that her past has had a kind of strong influence in her life oh I'll have to check it out it's good stuff but like I said the other one that I watched that I highly recommend is the polar opposite it's Tremors Perfection 
a scorched outpost in the middle of nowhere. You know how close I am to leaving this place right now? How close? Maybe that's why Val and Earl decided to leave town. That's Edgar Deans. They just picked the wrong day to do it. Jeez. You guys better get the hell out of here. There's a killer on the loose. Who could be doing it? Is that a snake? I'll give you boys five dollars for this. Twenty. That's how they get you. They're under the ground. What the hell are those things? How could they eat a whole station wagon? But where do they come from? I vote for outer space. It stars Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and nice. it's as it's kind of dumb. It's kind of like Starship Troopers in that it's a PG-13 monster movie. The monster being these ex- extremely just gross, like, worm creatures. <laughs> you think that they're smaller, kind of snake-sized worms, but the, then you realize that's just one of the many tongues of a single sand worm, which definitely, like, a bit of a call-out to, like, Dune and really a lot of horror movies, like, from the from previous years that take place in you know the american west in the desert this takes place in perfection nevada and it, it also has a kind of a western vibe too fred ward is in it it's a really great film that blends a lot of goofy elements from like previous monster movies and anyone who knows my movie recommendations knows i lean hard towards monster movies how many Tremors movies were there? <laughs> oh, there were a ton, <laughs> definitely. I haven't seen any of the uh, sequels. I don't know if they're any good, but the first one is is a very unique film. Like I said, PG thirteen. There's no like gore except for like the bizarre bright orange blood of the earthworms but what's funny about it is that they use this kind of like charming like desert western folk knowledge like none of the characters are smart they're all like working class they're all kind of uh kind of slow but they know the desert really well and they're able to use their knowledge of the desert to like outsmart these like earthworms which do have a lot more cunning than you would expect but they can be tricked with like simple ploys like you know, the earthworm is tunneling behind them. They're running. They head towards a cliff. They just stop short, and the worm, like, burrows through and flies clean off the cliff and, like, plunges to its death. I mean, there's a lot of, like, slapsticky humor like that, but it all really works on the strength of the uh, performances. Reba McIntyre is also in this. There's a lot of, like, strange turns that you wouldn't expect, and definitely, an, I don't know if this uh, is quite underappreciated but because it has a cult following and they did make like nine of these movies to follow it but that's how you know it's a good monster movie if it's not a good monster movie if there's not like 15 sequels i think yes and in that same vein i saw what might be the uh 15th i have no idea how many halloween movies they've made (laughs) but i saw the new one that's how you know how far this like the franchise has gotten that they stop renaming them in like a sequential numerical order. They're just like Halloween, uh, doing it again, baby. <laughs> like, no, I think there's been three movies just called Halloween because I know Rob Zombie, I think, did a a couple of them. Hell yeah, uh, like ten years ago. 
But, uh, you know, I I think it's interesting how well the movie did in its opening weekend. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis tweeted a couple of stats. Uh, it's the biggest horror movie opening with a female lead. The biggest movie opening with a female lead over the age of 55. The second biggest October movie opening ever. And the biggest Halloween uh, franchise opening ever. So, horror movies are woke. And uh, I will say it was definitely a female-centered uh, story. I definitely had a lot of problems with the movie. You know, it's directed by David Gordon Green, who did Pineapple Express. <laughs> and, you know, it was produced by Danny McBride, whose work I love, but I wasn't sure if they'd be able to pull this off and i would say they did but i will say there were several scenes where they went for the joke when if they hadn't it would have just been such a better fucking movie i don't want to go too far into the plot but it opens basically with these two i guess they're british these uh two public radio journalists who are of course doing a true crime podcast about michael myers <laughs> it's updated for the millennial audiences and you have never seen two characters you knew were going to get their shit beat and sliced by michael myers or you like 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 you cannot have less sympathetic uh, figures than podcasters. <laughs> I mean, we should all be butchered, but I <laughs> I like that you have gone to great lengths to avoid spoiling the plot for me. I mean, I genu- generally assumed that the plot is that Michael Myers like slices up a bunch of people. Yes, uh, he returns to... Uh, what is it, Haddonfield, West Haddonfield, Illinois, something like that. And, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode has, you know, been anticipating facing Michael Myers at some point. Uh, You know, she knew that he was going to come back. I know that there were a shit ton of sequels, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis was in like four or five of them. So uh, I I don't really know the details of those, but I'm... I know that this Halloween movie really kind of was just building off of the the original. Uh, John Carpenter uh, gave this movie his blessing, and he wrote the score, which was great. You know, it's the the classic classic theme. You know, let's play a a little couple seconds of that right here. You have, uh, you know, three generations of Lori's family, her daughter and then her granddaughter. And, you know, I won't give away more than that. And they kind of have to come together to face this menace that cannot uh, seemingly be defeated. Well, you spoiled the whole fucking movie for me. Apparently, they try to avoid getting stabbed by Michael Myers. Is that the gist of the film? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I don't need to see it in theaters now. I didn't 
it's a shame that these movies have gotten uh or i guess this movie was was this panned or this was well reviewed i believe it was re- well reviewed it was certified fresh and uh i will say it was a fun experience i could see how like horror fans wouldn't like it i've definitely seen some angry facebook posts oh, great. from some of the serious horror fans that I've known in my uh, throughout the years. Hey, I didn't go to horror university to be fed this swill. Yeah, and I understand the criticisms because you're not going to, you know, you're not going to have a franchise. Uh, you know what what they're trying to make a tentpole franchise out of. Um, you know, it's going to have some of those big studio movie tropes. It had the sort of Marvel movie humor, and I wish it didn't. But, you know, the, say, uh, what's that over there? And it's like, you know, if these cops were like not idiots, maybe it would be like more intense. But instead, they're just like these like dipshit, like you know just like frosting covered men who just you know (laughs) like march straight to their own slaughter it's like yeah you know you could if you made them you know michael myers is a lot more scary when he's not when you know he's slicing uh competent people well you don't think that you were terrified by the avengers when they like dropped a city in like a no-name non-existent country in like eastern europe no, and I should <laughs> I should say I haven't seen the adventures. No, well, I would well I just spoiled the ending for you, so don't worry about it. It's payback for you spoiling Halloween. But Yeah, well, you know, uh, and uh, of course, you know, the I guess as we said last week, you know, in the original Halloween, it's tr- same as this, same is true in this one, you know. The real terror is that it's, you know, it could be your backyard. Yep, that's the truth. But I guess another way to bring the horror home is to go ahead and watch Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio reboot, his gritty reboot, not the gritty, the one that we like from the Philadelphia Flyers, gritty reboots, which have been done to, you know, ad absurdum at this point. He's doing this for Netflix and it's, it sounds like a mess. Yes. Stop motion animation dark musical of pinocchio and uh, look like i i like guillermo del toro you know we had our problems with the shape of water (laughs) that was the first thing i thought of i was like where's the fish sex gonna be in this one well you know that's pinocchio's nose i think you can imagine come on (laughs) I i wonder what the appeal of this project is for del toro because i don't know it seems like he loves like creatures and things like that but this i don't know it's a a vanilla disney movie i know he's gonna make his dark gritty version but well he's also setting it in the during the rise of italian fascism because like, that's his aesthetic, I think, his rise of fascism. Obviously, usually he does Spain. But, I, like, it just it seems like a little absurd to me. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know. Like we've said, Netflix movies 
are generally like bullshit straight to DVD sort of movies. Yeah, I thought this was going to be like the Christopher Robin movie, which is has the highly cursed like Pooh Bear, which is like a gritty reboot of that <laughs> shit. For some reason, like who the fuck is asking for this? Like, oh, you remember what you grew up with is it, when you were like three years old as a child in the 90s? Let's make a extremely fucking creepy version of it for your kids. <laughs> it's an adaptable story i guess and you know you throw someone like him on it people watch it but another thing people have been watching (laughs) is this uh law and order svu episode so you know i i i again like i think we like to check in with law and order svu because i I think once it hits the that show like a cultural thing um you know i think it says something about like where x or y uh cultural thing uh you know that it's gotten to a level of like prominence that it's on this uh nbc series right it's not a real thing unless ice ice tea has made like a snappy retort about it or something like incels i never had that problem so we have Lorner SVU devoting a whole episode to incels, and the incels are this like menace force in this episode who are committing sexual assaults and beatings and calling, um, I guess, calling every man Chad and then yeah. the women Stacy to stand in for, like, I don't know, these incel uh, caricatures law and order tends to like publicize the most absurd idea like the most sensationalized version of these cultural moments like we saw the episode with the kind of campus you know politics approach that they did with starring um reese Seahorn. And now we're talking about this incel episode. It's just sort of a very sensationalized view, I think, of what how I understand the incel phenomenon or what I've read about it. Well, you didn't get to the episode uh, to the point where we had some suspects, right? No, I didn't. Give Fill me in. So throughout the episode, you meet a few. I guess in total, there's like these three guys who are communicating on this like and it's so funny because the like real tough guy i guess he's like staten island he's one of the newer cast members like the cops right and he comes down he's like i had to go to the dark web to find this <laughs> and he like throws the laptop down and it's like this incel forums <laughs> <laughs> the dark web aka like reddit <laughs> So, yeah, and then they find these just, like, I mean, imagine if this was, like, the casting call was just, like, the most, like, nerdy, asthmatic, like, just the hugest, like, disproportional nose. Like, these were just, they they found some grotesque um, incel actors. Of course they did. Like I said, they always present the most absurd view. Uh, were there any other suspects that you feel like mentioning? Um, suspects wise, it was it moved pretty fast to where it was kind of like 
they were figured out that each of these incels was conspiring with these other ones and i don't know i i have nothing to say about them individually like this episode was very strange because it seemed like in the last scene they brought in the victim to like egg on the main incel to like incriminate himself and it totally works like easily just the way normal crimes work and there's just so many like you know lines that like no one would actually like say in real life even though like these are the things they would like probably believe but just they just like really aggressively like feel that like women are their property purely for like sexual um you know desire and the fact that like the, the earth hasn't like granted that to them just like they feel like they are just this like disenfranchised like ball of rage i mean i don't know if it seems like a very from what i saw this guy in like a clown mask just runs in and like pistol whips the chad and then like rapes the stacy and very bizarre too that afterwards they were like immediately questioning the victim i I remember just watching this i'm like i don't think this is how criminal proceedings actually work but i don't know it's this is all very sensationalized every time they take up something like this that's very online and has made the jump to i guess being a household topic and I guess it, it it takes it to the next level where it's like literally like a, a an incel crime ring. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. Like I don't see how anyone wrote this with like a straight face. Honestly, this seems like kind of a joke. Yeah, if uh, you know, if they had designed them more like the Proud Boys, I think it'd be a little more believable. Right, but they already had the opportunity to do, like, the campus activism one, and they chose the kind of hacky, like, both sides-ism a little bit of, like, oh, the, you know, people on the left are crazy, people on the right are crazy. So I feel like if they were to center on one of the two sides in this kind of equation that they've made up, it would be controversial or something they would, like, avoid. I think the episode was definitely trying to imply that, like, the fury of the incels isn't, like, valid. And, you know, like, they wanted to make that clear. I don't think it had complex things to say about how, I don't know, how certain males have, like, degraded this much to the point where, like, this is the subculture they feel most identified with. Yeah, but then again, I guess we don't really turn to Law and Order for the cutting cultural criticism. That's more of our speed. But I guess we should just, unless you have something to add from your just intense viewing of the incel episode of Law and Order SVU. The worst part was some of the dialogue when the incel guys are being interrogated and, you know... It's always that moment when it turns, and I think if you watch this episode, I mean, you'll you'll see that the moments in the interrogations when these guys turn, just, like, their rage is pretty hilarious, whereas sometimes in this show, like, the rage is supremely uncomfortable, and, you know, that's part of, like, the drama of it, but in this one, it was pretty funny. 
Well, that's good stuff, but I made you describe this episode. Now I think I want you to tell me a story from your youth, something to close out this episode on a more whimsical note. So I want to tell this quick story about camp, and I was reminded of this because I was trying to think of something that fit in with the October, you know, the occult, the Halloween time that we're in. So I will tell this story. I'm not going to use this kid's name, but... You know, me and uh, our friend Jack went to this camp, uh, you know, where we would we would just go for like two weeks or, you know, three weeks, maybe for a few years in a row. And it was, you know, your standard uh, hiking and canoeing shit. You know, you'd go on the Appalachian Trail and whatnot. So it was, you know, a camp with a bunch of, you know, other, uh, you know, people our age i guess we were maybe like 11 12 13 years old like sweaty kids from the suburbs <laughs> yes just pl- plunged into like the woods <laughs> and one of the you know more bizarre people we met he was a kid who was there every year and i know every camp everyone i've talked to who went to camp every camp had a few kids who's like you know their parents clearly just like you know dropped them off and like didn't think about them for eight weeks you know (laughs) yeah for sure and you feel kind of bad for them but then you know you try to talk to them and you know they're fucking weird as hell so this guy the first night we were there the first year individually he presented each of us with a plastic butter knife and was like you piss me off you die (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to make friends right so whatever you know i didn't think of it like i almost thought i almost like thought it was a joke and then he was looking like very serious and i was just like all right man sure guess i have to die (laughs) so you know, fast forward maybe one or two years, and Jack and I were, you know, it was uh, it was the evening uh, after dinner. We were heading back to the cabin, and we entered the cabin to find this guy bent over on the floor and the floor is like dirty as fuck these are cabins in the middle of the woods the the um bent on the floor shirtless sweating into like this pentagram he's drawing on the floor with water from his nalgene bottle <laughs> and he looked up at us and was like ah i didn't know you guys were coming back like sure sure that sounds plausible on his end like clearly he wanted you guys to see the cool art he was doing so yeah we walked in on this weirdo drawing a pentagram on the floor and honestly we just never brought it up again (laughs) just a shared secret that you have did you um did you i'm assuming you left the when you discovered him, you left the cabin. 
Yes, we did not stick around, but we did laugh about it for a while. Holy shit. Damn, I mean, you know, it's good to have a creative outlet, I think. This is just a... I I think you're shaming him a little presumptuously. All right, I didn't use his name... And you know he shouldn't have threatened us with a butt with a plastic <laughs> butter knife. That's true. Maybe well, but two years had passed between the threat and the pentagram, so maybe this is how he got over his violent tendencies. You know, you got to think about these things. <laughs> Fine. Maybe the pentagram was his way of suppressing his murderous urges. This kind of sounds like a. Uh, Guillermo del Toro-esque plot. Like, if you guys were set in, like, the Spanish Civil War or something, then this could be something that he would pick up. Well, folks, this is the plunge. What can I say? Uh, I'm going to take off my shirt and draw a pentagram on my floor, and I hope you will, too. Yeah, I'm gonna join the Proud Boys. Actually, you know, we were—I was dissing them before, but just talking about them made me realize how cool they are. Actually, so think I'll be send. Do you send in an application? How does it work? I have to swear that I'm a Western chauvinist, which is objectively true. Oh, and you have to—and this is true—you have to stop masturbating. Ah, I mean, uh, yeah, cool. I don't. Uh, yeah, that's fine. The Proud Boys don't masturbate because they want to maintain their male vitality (laughs) their precious essence one might say (laughs) yeah they're i would say okay so in the venn diagram right proud boys incels i would say right there's a big overlap there's a lot of overlap for sure i think the proud boys they have so such a big tent, like shitty kind of right of center kid appeal between the transphobia, the Islamophobia, xenophobia, and then stuff that you mentioned. It's just I I don't even know. I feel like they just benefit off of all these subcultures kind of in a blanket way. Like no one knows what this fucking ideology is other than just like general social conservatism it's nothing as you know revolutionary or transformative as living in a commune or a pod if you will pod save america (laughs) we're gonna eventually have to like watch one of their episodes and shit on it Uh, i'm gonna shit all over that god that looks atrocious and Really, for pop culture, if we wanted to do a service, we should have just, you know, told every one of our listeners to go vote. Are you registered to vote? Go vote. Yeah, I should have just chased down every celebrity at my office and just kicked them until they said into a microphone, vote. Vote. What is if you don't vote, you don't get to complain about the fact that what 100 corporations are responsible for 70% of the carbon emissions that are frying our planet. If you don't vote, how will these corporations know how you feel? If you don't vote for a milk-a-toast Democrat, you are a failed specimen. Well, I'm going to go to the polls. The polling station is actually in my apartment building, which is kind of cool. But I will go to the polls and I will vote against drone strikes. I will vote against 
the you know all the wars i will vote uh i'll just cl- check off socialized healthcare there's a little ballot initiative for that um you know just vote for all my local communist party members obviously there's you know Sam, a ton of I those regret to around. inform you that you don't actually get to vote for you know things you just vote for like individuals who's that what who are incentivized to actually not you know radically change anything i thought all i had to do was vote everyone's been saying that all vote i have to save do save america is... yeah fuck. <laughs> all right i'm breaking character to like talk about how that is the sh- they turned their nonsensical podcast name into an even more nonsensical slogan it's infuriating I think the worst part about the like you must vote celebrity discourse is that I don't think a lot of these uh, people really care if you vote for or I just don't like how they never say like vote for Democrats. I think what I find so infuriating about this voting thing that you have touched on is that these people seem to think that it's better to vote for a Republican than to not vote at all. And I think if you're on the fence of like voting Republican or not voting, please, for the love of fucking God, just don't vote. What Stay the, the fuck? fuck home. Stay home. Oh my God. We need, I mean, obviously we need a lot of people to turn out and vote, but we also need a lot of like better candidates out there who actually give a shit about issues that actually affect us. I mean, the Democrats have not presented anything on like, climate change or any of the shit that's popular right now they don't have a a coherent message on much of anything if you ask me and i just i I don't see this opposition to the republicans i don't see what getting more people out to vote for democrats is going to accomplish but that's not even their goal like so what are you telling people to go out and vote for trump because you know all these people all these republicans are still up for election as well i mean come on Yes, Democrats are better, we know. It's just they're, uh, you know, there's a reason why fucking, like, what, the, the enormous percentage of this country doesn't vote? No, absolutely, because you have a terrible choice. But either way, vote for the plunge. Just smash subscribe. Hit that five-star review. That's, that's what you should do with your uh, political outrage. <laughs> Yes, we'll talk to you next time at plunge underscore podcast on Twitter at Spaventacular at Wagstank and you know, you know what to do. Five stars on iTunes, please, for the love of God. Five, not four. Not three. All right. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you later. <laughs>